Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. We promised an all-London show, and we will deliver, of course. Sam Ekstrom Sage Rosenfels, the hosts of the program on this 297th episode of Locked On Vikings. Have you ever been to London, Sage? I have not. Uh, I did play in a preseason game in Osaka, Japan, back in 2002. Hmm. Uh, I've traveled a lot in, around the world, but I've never been to London. But you have been overseas. I know you went to Iceland over the summer, so you've kind of gone through the the travel, and I assume the jet lag afterward. Is it a real thing? I've never I've never done a overseas flight. Is it a real thing where you land and you're suddenly seven hours different or whatever? Does that take a toll? It does. I think the best thing to do, what I've learned, is just to not go to sleep. You know, if you land uh, in the middle of the day, but it seems like it should be, you know, midnight for you, uh, stay awake as, as much as you can. Get to that night and then, you know, get a good full night's sleep and, and hopefully you sort of your clock, I think, quickly sort of resets itself if you do it that way. So uh, usually I feel like I get about, about two days later uh, once I sort of start that. Uh, that sort of new schedule about two to three days later, usually I sort of get really tired for like a day. It seems like it always happens, but um, at the end, the Vikings are going to go there for an extended period. Uh, I think that uh, they should be fine by game time. Well, here's what the Vikings are doing, and they have brought in sleepologists, and I'm making up the word, but basically experts who have told them how to handle this. So here's what they're going to do. They are practicing this afternoon. Then they are taking a nap it sounds like they're going to try to rest before the flight. Then they're flying tonight, which means they will arrive during the day in Europe. Then they will practice basically right off the plane and then go to bed early on Thursday night in London. So they're flying over. They're going to try to sleep before and during the flight, practice right away. And like you said, stay up then until Thursday night. It's going to be interesting because they're going to be, you know, groggy off the plane. Suddenly they have to go into practice field, new environment and all that. They got to unload all their equipment and it's going to be different. But that's what the experts have said. And it seems like every team nowadays has a sleep plan, whether it's NBA, NHL. Teams are taking this stuff very, very seriously. And I know the Vikings had like days of meetings over the summer on how to handle this. I'm sure some of these games have come down to, who handles the trip better? Because this is a pretty big upheaval for an NFL team. Well, and the good thing is the Vikings have made this trip now a couple times. And so a lot of the players are not new to it. And, and yes, that is definitely something that was preached, I feel like, a lot more near the end of my career than the beginning. 
you know, it's not just food and nutrition and, and, and hydration. It's also sleep is a, a huge component in recovery and in performance. And so, you know, the good thing is that both teams are, are equally uh, at that disadvantage. So it ends up being sort of a thing that cancels itself out. And, and I, at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, people, whoever's going to play better in the game, uh, I think I said two, both teams will have, uh, you know, both uh, deal with the same situation. Um, and uh, it's all matters is who plays better in the game. So obviously the Vikings are doing whatever they can uh, to make this into a smooth transition overseas. Are you a fan of London in general when the league talks about starting a franchise there, perhaps, and increasing the number of London games? It seems like every year there were four of them this year, which was an all-time high. Does that make sense to you to consider expansion to London? Because I think it falls on a lot of deaf ears. I know you want to grow the game, but logistically, uh, it just doesn't seem like it would work out that well. Well, the NFL, uh, again, going back to the end of my career, which was 2012, I remember hearing during the, the CBA negotiations were for 2011 that you know at the time, the NFL was about a $9 to $10 billion a year business, and the NFL owners uh, had just gotten out of a meeting, and they were had this sort of game plan to turn, in, turn the league into a $25 billion annual business. Uh, in about a 15 to 20 year, you know, period that that's what they, you know, these guys, you know, buying these teams for two uh, or three billion dollars, you know, they want a return on investment, they're business people. So they don't want to, you know, own it for 10 years and sell it for two or three billion dollars. They want to own it for 10 years and sell it for, for six billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And so they are trying whatever they can to grow the game. Uh, and, and I think the only way they really see it sort of like soccer is to make it into an international global sport. So uh, they think that this will just sort of, you know, begin to uh, have young people uh, in, in England and around Europe uh, get into football more. Uh, NFL Europe did, did really poorly in some countries and did really well in others. They absolutely loved it in Germany. Uh, by the end of NFL Europe, Germany had pretty much all the franchises at that point. Um, so there are some countries over there that really like it. You know, it starts with with London, if you can get London, and then maybe a one of the a one or two German cities or whatever. Next, you know, you have a whole division uh, over there. So uh, they're trying to make this into a, a global game uh, and not just an American sport. It feels, and I, there's been chatter. It seems like that. Oh, we want to have a franchise there by 2020 or whatever, 2025. But you would have to restructure the whole league unless you're getting teams leaving their current cities and uprooting. And going overseas, you know, then you're going to have to to totally change the conference alignment, the divisional alignment, and it feels like if the if the league really wanted to expand and add a franchise to its current setup, maybe you should have targeted Mexico City. I mean, a, a city that is sort of within the constraints of your continent, the flight wouldn't be so taxing, same time zone as some teams, and it's a place where they love sports. You've already gone a couple times. I guess expanding south would have made more sense in my mind, but you know, I'm not Roger Goodell or anything. Well, and I I really like that there's 32 teams. I think that the eight divisions of four and uh, and, and two conferences just sort of is a is a perfect number. The schedule is um, it's very predictable. You know, as you go forward, you sort of know who's going to play who. You know, almost every single year it seems like, and so I, I like the 32 teams, which 
makes you wonder, you know, what's going to happen in, say, you know, Jacksonville uh, in the next, you know, five years? Is, is that a team that goes overseas or, or some of the teams that don't have, uh, you know, really good uh, fan bases or people aren't showing up for games? You know, do, do they use London as another sort of threat like they mm -hmm. like they use Los Angeles for, you know, for the Chargers, for the Raiders, for uh, uh, the Rams as the, you know, a sort of a threat to, you know, build us a new stadium or else. And, and so um, London is just, you know, the more, te the more cities that want NFL teams, uh, the more value uh, these NFL franchises will be worth. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. It's Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network. Uh, reminder, you can win a subscription to Pro Football Focus. Leave a review on iTunes with your Twitter handle and have a chance to win. Uh, let's quick talk about the Cleveland Browns, the opponent on Sunday. I'm looking at their list of head coaches, and it's extensive. And if you've looked at the list of their quarterbacks in the past 10, 20 years, that is even more extensive. Which do you think is the chicken or the egg here? You know, is, our, is the coaching instability affecting the ability to develop quarterbacks or vice versa, is the inability to develop quarterbacks affecting the, the job that these coaches can do for Cleveland? Well, you know, the easy answer is to say, well, it's both. But I, I really do believe that uh, uh, the, the coaching, they have just missed on coaching almost every single time, it seems like. And, you know, because, you know, quarterbacks have played there, had success before they went there, and then had some success when they, they left there. I mean, Josh McCown played in Cleveland years ago. He's still playing the NFL, and actually he's playing fairly well for the New York Jets, but he didn't have success, you know, when he was there. Uh, they have missed on quarterbacks uh, in the draft. You know, they, they, they could have drafted Carson Wentz. They could have drafted Deshaun Watson. They could have drafted a lot of these guys uh, that they didn't. Um, so it seems to be probably something with ownership. You know, since that team was sort of rebought, brought back to Cleveland in 1999, uh, the two different ownership groups just seem like they don't just don't run a, a first-class operation, and they just don't know how, they don't know how to hire, uh, you know, consistently the, the right people. They seem to just regularly regularly be missing uh, on on coaches, on scouts, on the on the whole thing. So it's not a good football team. Uh, they're still an NFL team, which means that you know they could win any given Sunday. They could go out there, uh, and sometimes when you have your your back against the wall, or you just don't care at all. Uh, that's when you go out and play your best football. So, uh, you know, the Vikings are going to have to play very well uh, to beat this team. And, and even though they're, they're an 0-7 football team, I said it's any given Sunday, whether you're in, uh, in Minneapolis or whether you're in London, you got to you play your best football if you want to win football games in the NFL. And the one good head coach they did hire, they hired 10 years too early, Bill Belichick, 1991, went 36-44 and in Cleveland. And then, of course, went on to be the greatest coach of all time. So sometimes you just got to get lucky. And uh, they didn't get lucky there. And Pat Shermer, another ex-head coach, went nine and twenty-three. And you know, I think a lot of people are looking at what Shermer's doing here and saying that that's a guy that might have more head coaching uh, in his future. He, he's got a great offensive mind. Seems to be a pretty level-headed guy, good with the players. But a combination of things hasn't worked out 
in Cleveland. Failing as a head coach in, in Cleveland should have an asterisk, you know, to <laughs> to the, the fact that you failed. It, it may not be all your fault. We've talked about on this show, kind of you know, almost jokingly, how in the Vikings have been in this position with. You have three quarterbacks, but do you really have any? Bradford and Keenum and Bridgewater. Well, Cleveland takes that to a whole new extreme. They've got Kevin Hogan, Cody Kessler, and Deshaun Kaiser. They've rotated through all three. That Nobody has emerged. Their draft pick, Kaiser, has not shown the flashes that they would have hoped. And nowadays, when rookie quarterbacks seem to be succeeding all over the place, uh, you would like to think that there'd be some hope at least. But... I guess I disagree with the approach that you bench a guy. You know, when you take him, what was it, second round, and then you don't stick with him. And I know there was some video of him staying out late on Friday night and the Browns might be getting flashbacks to Johnny Manziel. Uh, That, to me, feels like bad management of the situation if we want to talk about coaching. Don't you have to give a young quarterback a, a year, especially in a lost season, to see what you have? I think Hugh Jackson right now is just trying to find any way to win a football game. And in the last game, it was a close game. It was still tied, and, and their offense just really hadn't done anything. I think it was 3-3 three to three or 6-6. Six to six. And, and so he decided to change it up and go with uh, uh, Cody Kessler, bring him in to try to get that offense sparked, and it didn't work. And the thing is, Cody Kessler played fairly well last year for a young guy. I thought he played fairly well if you look at his numbers. Um, you know, he probably had a a QB rating almost around 90, uh, I think, which is, you know, a lot better than a lot of other starters around the league. So, uh, it's, it does a, here's what's really interesting, by the way, you know, who makes the most money, uh, as the Cleveland Browns quarterback this year? Brock Uh, Osweiler. Yeah. Yeah. Brock Osweiler is the one making more money than all those other guys combined, uh, we just uh, mentioned so um yeah obviously it's it's the, I, I wonder if Hugh Jackson is going to make it you know through this season or in the next season um I, I've always liked Hugh as a coach I think he's a very good coach I thought he did a nice job out, out at the Oakland Raiders it just seems like Cleveland is a place where where coaches and quarterbacks go to uh, to end their careers or or to put a big uh, big scar in their careers Yep, they don't have much in the way of skill position players either. Uh, Isaiah Crowell is their leading back, and he's averaging just 3.2 yards a carry. Duke Johnson Jr. gets their second most carries. He's also their leading receiver with 314 yards. Uh, And then Ricardo Lewis, the young guy out of Georgia, is number two. But a lot of games, a lot of names you don't recognize. Rashard Higgins, Seth DeValve, Kaysen Williams. Uh, the, these are not well-known wide receivers. And then the, the most talented player on that roster is Joe Thomas, and his string of 10,363 snaps came to an end against Tennessee when he tore his triceps. What a saint to put up with uh, 10 years of dysfunction in Cleveland. He's never complained. He's played hard at a Pro Bowl level, and who knows where his career goes from here. But, I mean, that's a, that's a devastating loss for Cleveland on that offensive line. Yeah, he's been the only really bright spot in that franchise for ten years, and and you know, to to play, you know, Favre played all those years at quarterback, which was just absolutely incredible. But to play left tackle on a bad franchise and not even miss a snap, I mean, that's just insane to not miss a snap. You know, we're not talking about starts here; we're talking about snaps. He didn't miss a snap, so obviously that uh, that came to an end, and that's going to be advantage for the Vikings coming up this weekend. Yeah, I don't even know who his substitute is at left tackle. I'm sure they haven't had to worry about that for so many years. But, uh, you know, they'll throw somebody out there, and I'm sure Everson Griffin will be licking his chops. And I'll have a story up about that later today. 
at zonecoverage.com. So uh, the last thing we do on these Wednesday shows, we pick the Thursday game. It's Dolphins at Ravens. Baltimore scuffling, and they're coming off a, a bruising loss against Minnesota. Suddenly the Dolphins, and they've won a couple ugly games, but here they are at 4-2. and two. Uh, They go on the road to Baltimore. Who do you like in that one? I like the Dolphins in this game because Jay Cutler is not playing in this game. I like Matt Moore as a quarterback, and, and the Ravens, their offense has been pitiful uh, for about the last month. So uh, even though it's a short, short week, and I think the numbers – the, the home-away numbers are fairly split, even even around the NFL this year. It's almost a, a, a 50-50 proposition. Uh, but Thursday night games, usually the home team has a bigger advantage, but I'm still going to go away from uh, or against the uh, the odds, and I'm going to go with the Dolphins uh, in this game because I, just, I think they're a better football team. I think they've got uh, more positive vibes going on, and I like Matt Moore's quarterback. Dolphins have been the comeback kids last two weeks. Came back against Atlanta on the road, down 17, and then came back against the Jets at home, down 14. That's some pretty impressive stuff from an offense that was incredibly anemic for the first uh, month of the season. I'll also take Miami in that game against Baltimore. Uh, We'll make our NFC North picks on Friday. I think the Packers have a bye this week, but the Bears are back in action and the Lions are back in action, as well as the Vikings. So we'll talk to you on Friday, Sage, and we'll make our all-important picks. Yep, sounds good. Looking forward to the talking on Friday and looking forward to watching the the the, fin, or the, the Vikings play overseas. And, and hopefully the field is in better shape. It seems like the fields are always in terrible shape over there. Soccer is not quite football, and, and, uh, and it seems like it's a little sloppy. So ho- hopefully no Vikings have any injuries because of that, that those crappy fields. Well, it's funny you bring that up, and, and not to belabor it here, but uh, there was a rumor. Mike Florio released a report that said a source told him the Vikings did not want to play Teddy Bridgewater on the slippery field. And then Mike Zimmer, at his press conference Monday, singled out that report and said it was false. I don't know if that's a, a diversion to try to create doubt as to who's going to be quarterback or if they actually are considering playing Teddy Bridgewater. But uh, I found that interesting because if, and, and you say it's true, and I believe it is, and I've, I've noticed it myself, you probably don't want to play a, a healing quarterback on a bad field. That probably wouldn't be wise. I wouldn't do that. I also just wouldn't play your Teddy Bridgewater because Case Keenum's playing well and and, uh, he's doing just fine as a starter. Yeah, well, we'll see what the Vikings do. Maybe we'll have a better idea today. They practice late this morning at Winter Park. Thanks a lot, Sage. And again, we'll talk to you on Friday on Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network.